step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. And welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 5, Episode 40, where we covered Part 4 of our TV docuseries, The Forgotten West Memphis 3, titled Persons of Interest. In the episode, both on TV and in our podcast episode, we basically narrowed down two specific persons of interest at the beginning, which were Terry Hobbs and David Jacoby. Throughout the course of the episode on the TV series, we eliminated David Jacoby as a person of interest, which left us with just Terry Hobbs. Uh, in the TV episode, we had I had Jim in where we watched hours and hours of Terry Hobbs's deposition when he tried to sue the Dixie Chicks, and uh, Jim joined us to talk about both David and Terry. Uh, it was a interesting episode. At the conclusion of the episode, we have the call to action to try to get uh, District Attorney Scott Ellington to get the evidence tested. So we have a lot to talk about, and once again, we are we are recording remotely. But I am joined via phone by Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey guys, and Michael Bussing. Hey everybody. So after a quick break here, we're going to get right into some of your questions and some things that I want to say about part four, persons of interest. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Bob, I just want to cover this up front. We did get a lot of questions surrounding David Jacoby, but I wanted to hold off on those questions for next week until after the listeners hear David's interview. Yeah, you know, I, I, we can talk about Jacoby a little bit, but yeah, I, I've seen a lot of the questions that are being asked are going to be answered in this Sunday's episode and next Sunday's episode where we hear the full uncut interviews with David Jacoby. But Zach, what what did you think? You didn't know, as far as I know, you didn't know a whole lot about Jacoby v- before this. So just from what you've seen so far... What did you think of the interviews? What were your thoughts about David Jacoby prior to the airing of the TV series and the information that we've shared about David? And how do you feel about him as a person of interest now? So prior to learning anything about him, just from what we've seen in the past with West of Memphis, you know, they they really lay him out to be a suspect, you know, and, and he, they really threw him under the bus saying that he was a child murderer and all sorts of things. But it's hard not to think that when that's all you see, when when the media is portraying him that way. That's kind of what you feel. And if he's supposed to be Terry Hobbs's best friend, or that's the way they portray him, then you kind of feel like maybe he did have something to do with it. You know, when you first feel this case out, you're thinking, you know, it would be really hard for somebody to do this by themselves. The more you realize it, you could probably do it by yourself, but a second person helps a lot, you know? So having David Jacoby and David Jacoby being his alibi, I mean, it kind of fits that he could be part of it, now with seeing everything else that's came out, you know, you really feel for the guy. You, you believe that he didn't have anything to do with it. 
you know, and there was a lot of questions that came up with him too, but in the episode, you talk about him being nervous and he definitely seems like a nervous guy. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's, you know, as, as I laid out in the episode, the interview that you're going to hear on Sunday, you know, that was at least a year in the making, you know, and I kind of walked through the process in the episode of how I went down, you know, to be honest with you, I never, I, I, w- I was never really convinced that he had anything to do with it. Just, just based on my own behavioral analysis of the crime scene, it just never made sense to me. There were two people. And, and then also like in West of Memphis, like you said, they sort of put him up as a suspect, you know, they, you know, they've got this hair and they, they, they made it seem like he was closer to, to Terry than he was. But for me, like when you really listen to what he was saying, you know, he contradicted Terry right from the beginning when Terry used him as an alibi. And and it was like in there, but it just wasn't it wasn't highlighted and pointed out. You know, if the two of them were together, then it would be like, hey, let's get our story straight. Let's say this is what we were doing. And right away, David was like, no, that's not true. We weren't together the whole time, you know? Yeah. Well, the way I took that, too at that time is you kind of almost take that as as two guys that just don't have their story straight that that maybe they were in it together and they're like oh we were supposed to say this but you said this right speaking of that what did you think about the part that didn't air on the show but i shared in the episode uh, about terry coming to his work to to try to to first persuade him to corroborate a story and then try to dissuade him from talking to the investigators at all if that's true, I mean, that is mind-blowing. I mean, that is crazy that someone would do that. If Terry Hobbs is innocent, that he would go out of his way just doesn't make any sense. I mean, why would you do that? If you didn't believe that he was going to, you know, if the truth wasn't the truth, then why would you go out of your way to make sure he was going to tell the story you wanted him to tell? Right. And to be honest with you, I don't know why that didn't make the final cut. It might have been because of the sound issues we were having, but that was powerful and like in the moment you know when he told me that because you know, I, I he didn't we didn't talk about that in my, the interview that you're gonna hear this weekend that was just you know in our conversations there i was really trying to get him to calm down and loosen up so i was just asking him more about you know you know what life was like afterwards and things like that and i was gonna then, then back back into the the timeline if i could get him to you're trying to get him to forget the cameras are there and start focusing on me right is what i'm trying to do because he's comfortable with me yeah. And so it was during that conversation when he was like, oh, shit. Yeah, you should see when he came to my came to my work and tried to get me not to talk to him. And we've heard part of it, Mikey. Because Mikey, you, you, you remember hearing the parts from David when, you know, when he's like, well, you know, he's pissed off. He's like, why don't you just talk to him? And then he's kind of mocks Terry how Terry was like, oh, oh fuck them guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, he does. The, Terry's, Terry's laugh. I don't remember if that's in the interview or not, but or if that was something we witnessed in person, Mike. But, but anyway, so he, but he, but I, I said, well, 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 tell me more about that, and yeah, that's how the whole thing started. Was and I believe David in what he's saying. I mean, you might not, and that's okay. But I believe David, and you know, he's like, yeah, he said he he got a, a call and left a, a voicemail or a or a message or whatever, and uh, was telling him, you know, hey, you need to call me back. You need to call me back, and. And I think David maybe called and left him a message and respond or something and said something that he would he would uh he talked to him after work, something like that. Whatever it was, Terry then, like after multiple phone calls in one day, came to his work and and the first thing he, he tells him was like, Oh, these fucking investigators, they're trying to say that you and I did it. You know, they're trying to pin this on us. And Dave was like, uh, what do you mean us? What are you talking about? You know, we weren't even kids. Oh no, no! Remember, you were you know when they talked to you. Remember that you and I were together this whole time. And David was like, "No, that's not what happened." And Derek, he says that Terry continued to try to convince him to tell them that they were together the whole night. And then when David wouldn't do it, he's like, "Well, you just need to not talk to them. You know, don't even don't even talk to them. They're just trying to pin this murder. They're trying to they're trying to put us both in prison for murder. So don't talk to them." But the you know, the dissuading him from talking to him was less of a red flag for me than, like you said, Zach, the fact that that he ran to tell him what he needed to say. And it's just, you know, yes, memories change, memories shift, memories can be manipulated. But the the, the reason that's so powerful and, and so devastating sometimes is because you believe your memories. Yeah. So even if your memory has been manipulated and it has changed, you don't know that. You think that your memory is legit. So there's no reason 
you know, when when Terry told them, yeah, I was with David Jacoby all night, if he believed that was the truth, there's no reason for him to then run and tell David Jacoby to say the same thing because you would assume that he would say the same thing. You know, the other thing that you brought up in the episode is a question I've had for a long time. And it was it was nice to kind of get some answer. The, the answer is really not there fully, but uh, it's where Amanda is, which is the the younger sister of Stevie. You know, if Terry's supposed to be watching her and Terry is the is a suspect, prime suspect, a uh, person of interest, where is Amanda? You know, he's supposed to be watching her. And, and it, it was a little bit brought up in the episode that maybe David Jacoby's wife had been watching her. Well, so David, yeah, I touched on it a little bit, and, and you'll hear more about that, I think, in the interview. David said he, you know, he, he that's one of the times where he gets really frustrated because he knows that's important, and he just can't remember. He said he's sure that Amanda was there at some point, that Bobby, his, his wife, was watching Amanda for Terry. He does. He can't remember if it was during just those early trips, or if it was when he, you know, disappeared for the couple hours, or when it was. He said he just can't remember. And and his ex wife, you know, I've I've met her and talked to her too, and she also doesn't remember, you know. But so yeah, it, it could have been with him. But then the other thing is, anyone with with a four year old in a in a booster seat, you know, I I I'll say this: it's 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 definitely possible that for somebody to just leave the kid in the car and be like, I'll be right back and just leave them sitting in the freaking car. Not smart. Yeah, that could have happened. I That's just always been a, one of my biggest questions with with the Terry Hobb idea is that where was the girl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it could be that Terry Hobbs had nothing to do with this. So it's it's, it's irrelevant. But yeah, if, if you're as part of, you know, looking at the possibilities of maybe him being uh, a person of interest or a suspect, that's definitely a question that needs to be answered. Where was the four-year-old? Yeah, because if if he's not the person of interest or if he had anything to do with it, he possibly had the daughter the whole night. You know what I mean? So that it's right. I don't want to say it's an alibi, but it's there's there's something there with the daughter, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's too bad that she was young enough that she just doesn't remember any of it. And she and you know, and Amanda's I've 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 not met her in person, but I've talked to her. She's been through a lot too, and you know, it, it's just tough. I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago. She told me. I was talking to her about her mom, and and she said, you know, that the day my brother died, I didn't just lose my brother. I lost my brother and my mother, you know, because she said she she essentially just, you know, lost her mind. She was never the same again after that. So then she, so then Amanda is now living in the house with, with Pam, who is just devastated, just life shredded because of this. And with Terry, they obviously didn't get along. We we know for a fact, as Terry has admitted to it, he was, was was abusive to Pam and hit her. In his mind, it was justified. But, I mean, there's some shit like that. Terry shot Pam's brother at one point, you know, over a, an altercation. Uh, you know, they got, they got into a fight, and Terry pulled out a gun and shot him. And then the divorce, and then the, you know, Amanda's been in the middle of So now there's a broken home that this this young girl is in the middle of. And then new evidence comes out, and maybe Terry did it. And then, and then there's the fighting between. I'll, I'll tell you this: innocent or guilty, Terry Hobbs is extremely manipulative, very much so. And some of the some of the reasons that I say that I, I can't share publicly, but you know, some of them I mentioned, you know, you know, during the the course of the interview, you know, he's he's been in contact with uh, with Ryan Clark and with Pam, and with you know, he's he's you know, trying to get people not to to talk to me, trying to get people not to talk about the case, and he's just he's very very good at manipulating so why he's trying to manipulate pam and and then he's trying to manipulate amanda to be on his side instead of pam's side it's just that whole situation is just is just tragic and continues to be more and more tragic i think whether he's innocent or guilty of this he is definitely shown enough that he needs to be looked into deeper yeah absolutely well and it's funny the conversations and the arguments that are still happening now after the show of course there's the nons that are you know, I'm a piece of shit for suggesting that anybody besides West Memphis three did it. And then there's the people that think, you know, John Mark Byers did it. And, and so, so, you know, they're pissed off at me because I eliminated Byers as, as, as a suspect. There's people that think Jacoby was involved and, you know, there's, there's all these people are mad, but it's like, people aren't listening to the overarching theme of this. It's not, the case isn't going to be solved like that. Yeah. Your theory 
is not going to solve the case. And you know, and on that topic, I want to talk for a minute about the uh, the manhole theory because I've touched on it. There's been more discussion on the fan page about it, so I want to address that a little a little bit more. But it's like it's it's not going to matter. Like when we say we need to look at Terry further, like I don't think we can look at Terry any further. I don't think that we can look at John Mark Byers any further. I don't think that there's any. As I said in the episode, if a if a witness came forward today and said, "I'm coming forward because I was there. I really was the fourth boy. I was with the boys when they went in there. I watched Person X attack them." And I ran away, and I've been afraid to come forward all these years. I literally witnessed this person do this. It would not be accepted. It would be accepted by the people who would fit with their theory. It would be accepted by the people who are open-minded and are just actually investigating this without an agenda. But everybody else would reject it. So if it, if it was somebody besides the West Memphis Three, the nons would be like, "Oh, they, they somebody paid them, or they want their moment, pay, you know, their their fifteen minutes of fame, and then blah 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 blah." And if somebody, say say that person said, I saw John Mark Byers do it. Well, then the people who think Terry Hobbs would do it would be like, no, nah, they're full of shit. They're making, you know, it, you know what I mean? There's just, it's not going to help. It's not going to solve the case. The only thing that's going to solve the case now is science. So I've really gotten to a point where I'm, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I've been pretty absent from the fan page through a lot of these discussions that are going on right now. And the reason for that is I don't want to argue with anybody. I, I don't see a point in it. I don't like. Like I want the discussion, I, and I read stuff, and every once in a while I'll jump in and, and hopefully add some insight or ask questions so I can learn some things. So I love the discussions are happening, but I just don't think that you know arguing theories right now is gonna is gonna do us any good when we have the one thing that could do us good on the forefront, which is the DNA testing. And I've told you know there's a there's a friend of Terry Hobbs that that messages me constantly. I mean, for for a year, two years, messages me constantly, and it uh, about how these Satan worshippers did it, and how I'm uh, I'm a terrible person for you know for supporting these baby killing Satan worshippers, blah 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 blah. And he just and, and he he's become more civil recently, and so I've actually communicated back and forth with him a little bit, and I'm like I'm like look, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter what anybody thinks. We need to test the evidence. If the evidence gets tested, it's going to come back, and it's going to show us who did it. And then that's going to be it. You can't argue with that. Although I, I guarantee you there will still be people that will argue. We get this evidence tested and say particular – let's say, while, you know, for example, while we're talking about – so let, let's say Terry Hobbs, hypothetically, his DNA is found on 10 items on the crime scene. There will be people that will still say the West Memphis Three are guilty. And that's all transfer, or it was planted, or the lab was corrupt. But, but I mean, that's the point where you know that's just ridiculous because at that point somebody's getting prosecuted. You know, that, that's enough. But you know, anyway, my my point is that it's going to take science. So uh, we'll take a quick little break right here, and I want to talk about the manhole theory, and then we'll get into these questions. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zach, here's one. I want to uh, point out there's, there's been a few people on the fan page. There's one guy in particular, guy I really like. He's really active on the fan page. Uh, he studied the case for a year. A guy named Tank that's, on a, that's, that's in the fan group. Um, I know there was some, some arguing and stuff going on the other day, but hopefully all that's straightened out. But he, he is a proponent, along with many other people, of what's been known as the manhole theory that we've touched on before. Zach, do you know much about the manhole theory? Um, you know, just a little bit that what we talked about. From what I understand about it, it, it just doesn't seem super plausible to me. 
You know, I'm not saying it couldn't have happened, but it doesn't seem super plausible. But the the thing that I guess that I could see with the manhole theory, or part of the manhole theory, is is possibly storing clothing there. But I mean, obviously they found clothing, so I don't I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's essentially the theory is, and, and I'm not super well versed in it anymore. I don't remember a lot of it, but the theory is there was a manhole that was right there near the discovery site, like on that side of the bayou that after the boys were murdered, they were put into the manhole or into this, you know, whatever's in, I don't know what's in the manhole there. I don't know if it's just like an access site for a pump or if it's for like into like a sewer, whatever it is, or just a dry well. And then later the killer comes back and takes the boys out of the manhole and puts them into the Creek. One of the things that that has come up about it. And I think tank shared this is there are, some autopsy photos, uh, and I believe it's Stevie Branch's leg, and there are some injuries that have been theorized that come from uh, the rebar steps that are inside of those manholes. Those, you know, the whatever those, whatever's under the manhole is just the lid. Whatever's underneath the manhole, the, the whatever that oh, dry well or whatever it is for the culvert there. But it's so the the thoughts were that you know they were stuffed down into there. They were put down into this manhole. And, you know, that that rebar mark on Stevie is evidence of that. And it's possible. The problem is there are, and I don't want to upset people with this either, because I know people that are subscribed to this. And there, I'll, I'll say this. There are people that have worked on this case for a long time that have developed theories and evidence and, and developed even followings of their own of people that using evidence that has been doctored in a way. Meaning, so like, you know, a photo of there, I think Tank had shared a, you know, some photos of the injury on Stevie's leg that's been enhanced. You can see like the cross stitch mark of rebar. The problem is I have, I actually have the full set of autopsy photos, the original autopsy photos. And that's not what that injury looks like. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so I don't know if it's been photoshopped i know it's been i think i think it's been said that it's enhanced if you adjust the lighting and the contrast you can see these hatches but i've looked and i've looked and i just don't i don't see it i no matter how hard i look at the originals i can't see anything that resembles the final product that's been put up as that evidence now that doesn't mean you know maybe the you know the set i have came from from the da's office so you know it's not like scans of stuff I, I so I I don't know I, I I feel like there are people out there that have manipulated some of the evidence to fit their theory, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And and again, at the same time, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if you just adjust the lighting and the contrast, that's what you end up with. I just I just don't see it. And and for for me, I don't want to disparage anyone who who subscribes to that theory. I'm not even saying that it's wrong. It goes back to what I said before. Maybe. You know, it, it, test evidence testing DNA is what's going to solve the case. That theory for me, I I can't accept it because of the, the 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 behaviors exhibited for it just don't work for me. Now, does is does that mean that I'm right and you're wrong? Absolutely not. It's just that it doesn't. I I cannot piece together any plausible theory or reason. Why, if someone had concealed the boys in that manhole, why they would go back and pull them back out of the manhole to then put them into the water right there in the middle of that area. It just, there's, there's just, it just doesn't, I don't see it happening at all. That That's my biggest question with the manhole theory is, is if you've already gotten rid of the bodies that way, why would you risk going back and moving the bodies? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Now, the the photos that I've seen, whether they are natural or doctored or whatever they may be, I mean, they they are compelling. There's, you know, there's something that could be there. But like you said, it could be doctored. It's hard to say. But yeah, that's my biggest question is, is if why, if you put them in the manhole, you've gained your distance, you've gained your distance from those bodies. Why would you risk going back to an area where they already have, people have already been to move the bodies? If and if you were going to move the bodies, why the hell would you move them, you know, within a matter of feet? Why wouldn't you take them and get rid of them? 
drive down the road to the Mississippi and throw them in the Mississippi. You know, I mean, I just I don't, I don't get it. Right, and that and that's it. You you made a good point there. Is part of that behavioral analysis, and and I'll also point out there are people that think a behavioral analysis of crime scenes is ridiculous and makes no sense, and they're welcome to think that. But I but I I believe it is an important investigative tool. And so yeah, the, what what is as Jim Clemente has explained, what the purpose of that concealment was very clearly, at least to me and to him, was to buy time to get away from the bodies. To establish an alibi, to get away, most that's why you you know when, when you see bodies that are concealed like that, you know there's probably a known personal relationship there because human tendency through through the study of tens of thousands of cases is that the people well, the first thing someone wants to do if they've committed a crime and killed someone is to get the hell away from the bodies. It's a massive risk to be sitting there with a dead body. So. The only reason that you would you would spend time with the dead body in a high risk situation like that is because if the bodies are found, people are going to think you did it because you have a known personal relationship, and therefore you take the huge risk to spend the time to conceal the bodies. So if someone took that huge risk, and by the way, if if, if I'm not mistaken, in order to get to that manhole, they would have had to go out out of the woods. I don't. It wasn't in the woods. I don't think someone will correct me. Uh, Tank, let me know on Facebook if I'm wrong about that. But I believe so now in daylight, they would have to walk out of the woods into an area that's visible from the Mayfair apartments to put the boys one at a time into this manhole and then go back out and, and, and do it again. But beyond that, if so if, if the purpose of concealing the bodies was to distance themselves and to buy time to get away from the bodies so they could establish their presence elsewhere, the idea that they would then return back to the crime scene, open up, I mean, opening up a manhole is loud. If anybody's ever done it before, they're heavy. They're, you got to use tools to do it, to go through that process again, to open it back up and now risk. And, and think about the logistics. Think about how big a manhole is. There's three little boys inside of crawling back down in there and pulling them out one by one and then carrying them down to that creek and that slick creek bank to stick them in the mud at like they're just I just can't in no disrespect to anyone that believes that and if the evidence every single one of you if if we get the evidence tested and somehow it proves that you're right I'll buy every one of you a beer I'm 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 happy to admit I'm wrong if I'm wrong but I just I can't it would be disingenuous for me to say that I think that that's a plausible theory because I don't could be wrong, but I just don't think it's a plausible theory. That's two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was amazing! <laughs> Must be more people believe in that theory than I thought. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay. My okay. Mike's like. Mike's like, hey, uh, I believe in the manhole theory. I'll take a free beer. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. God. Okay. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, you want me to jump in here with these questions, Bob? Or, or... Yeah. Okay, sorry for sorry for breaking up the, the flow there. <laughs> no, I think you should leave that in. I think it was good. Okay. Yeah, that all was right. so good. <laughs> all right, this question comes from Russell. If the evidence is finally tested for DNA, how would you counter Terry Hobbs' assertion that he'd expect to find his DNA because Stevie was his kid and he interacted with those other boys? Ooh, well, that um, I hadn't heard that. I don't know where that came from. Now, if, you're, if we're talking about the original, the the hair that was found in the bindings, uh, where, where Terry's attorney said, well, yeah, of course, that's my hair. It was my kid. Which, by the way, that bit that we saw where where his attorney was answering for him and he said well of course it could be his hair it probably is his hair because it was his kid's shoe that's not true if if my understanding is correct that hair was found in a binding on michael moore it was not in a binding found on stevie branch uh and people have said that it was it was chris byers shoelace that was that was on there i i don't know that there's any way to know that the the reason that People have said that, and to be honest with you, they're probably right. 
is because, gosh, I hate, I'm always working from memory um, from stuff from a long time ago, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. Michael Moore was the one whose binding was one shoelace cut in half or ripped in half. So, meaning, so on, on Stevie Branch, he had one shoelace connecting his right ankle to his right wrist and a different shoelace connecting his left ankle to his left wrist. Same thing with Chris Byers. And I believe they each had like a black one and a white one. So like one from one shoe and one from another shoe. And Michael Moore's bindings were one black shoelace that was cut in half and half was used connecting right wrist to right ankle. And the other half was used to connect left wrist to left ankle. So we know for sure that the, that, that hair was found in the binding of Michael Moore. The reason people believe that the lace that was used came from Christopher Byers is, and this is the part I'm not entirely certain I'm remembering this correctly, but I'm pretty sure is because Chris Byers shoes only one of his shoes still had the laces in it and one of them did not. So Stevie Branch's shoes, the laces and both shoes were taken out and used and, and I think his were white. And then, um, Michael Moore's shoes, both laces were fully taken out and used. And I believe those laces were black. And then Chris Byer's shoes only had one lace taken out. So people have thought, well, he took the one lace out, whoever did it, and, and the the lace broke or something, whatever reason, they just used one half on one leg and one half on the other. But for sure, it was definitely not found on Stevie Branch. It was found on Michael Moore. The theory is that it was Michael Moore's lace. Uh, and the also theory is that Stevie Branch's laces were actually white. Um, but I don't know if that's ever been confirmed, and I don't know if the West Memphis police ever bothered to really check that out. I think Stevie had the white tennis shoes, so it was assumed he had the white laces because you know the other the other two boys had black shoes. I think so you'd assume those would have black laces, and it was on a black lace. So what it looks like is that it was a child that was not his, tied up with laces that came from a child that was not his. So that assertion to say, well, you know, is it possible it was transfer hair because Michael Moore was in his house that day? Maybe. Possible. Seems unlikely. But then again, remember, we don't know that it's Terry's hair either. You know, it, it's, you know, it, it was, it was a mitochondrial DNA match. So there's a, it could have been, uh, there could have been a few other people that belong to that hair as well. Now, long winded. I've been long winded all day today. It's because I haven't talked to Mike and Zach for a week. Big winded Bob. Right. <laughs> but I know that Terry recently did an interview on that Ed Opperman show, whatever that guy. He's the guy that I went on uh, on his show a couple years ago and uh, thought we had a good debate, a good conversation. And then he just proceeded to just shit on me and everything I've done since then. So I haven't listened to it. Uh, but I know that Terry, I was told that Terry talked about the DNA testing in our meetings, and he definitely mischaracterized uh, a lot of how that meeting went down. But if it was like in that or if it was recent that he said, those those kids, I knew those kids were in my house, so my DNA should be on that scene. If he just said that recently, I would be very, very suspicious of that. Not a real good reaction when you say we're going to test all this evidence and get DNA for somebody to immediately start explaining why their DNA is going to be there. But I don't know if he said anything like that other than his reaction to that that old hair. If he did say that after the DNA came back, if hypothetically the DNA evidence comes back and it does tie Terry to the crime scene, it would depend on where the DNA is. So if you find someone's skin cells on the sticks that were used to jam clothing down into the mud, which is one of the places Susanna Ryan feels she thinks she can get DNA off of, um, good luck explaining that away. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, if you find not, not, not a hair, not a transferred hair, but if you find skin cells in the knots of multiple or in multiple knots in the bindings, good luck. You know, that's probably the, the one that people would try to explain away. But, you know, if, if your DNA is found on clothing, you know, they, they may try to explain that away. But you know, it it all depends on where the evidence is and and how many places. You know, we know that that Terry didn't come into physical contact, at least you know, according to his, his story, with any of the boys that day. None of them. So if you start finding his skin cells in multiple locations throughout the whole crime scene, on their clothes, on the sticks, 
uh, on the bikes, you know, things like that, then I think that would be very tough to explain away. But I also think people will try. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. This next one comes from Lee. Is there anyone besides Scott Ellington that can approve releasing evidence to be tested, such as Attorney General Rutledge or Governor Hutchinson? No, I don't think that right up front anybody, any of those people can just overrule or, or step in and make something happen, maybe. But but what, what will have to happen if Scott Ellington doesn't do the right thing and just send the evidence out? You know, even though we got the the permission from all three of the convicted to do it, understand that we didn't have to do that. Scott, the district attorney is the gatekeeper of the evidence. Any district attorney, in any case, in any place, can take the evidence that they have in their possession and run tests on it anytime they want to. So if, so if Scott Ellington just was like, okay, you know, the, the pressure is getting to me, I'm just going to go ahead and test it. He doesn't have to ask anybody. He can do it. So hopefully that's what will happen is he'll, he'll just agree and they'll send it and they'll do it. If not, the only way to go over his head is to actually file, that I'm aware of, is to actually file a motion. So then the defendants, you know, Damien or Jason or Jesse or all three of them, would have to file a motion with the court requesting testing of the evidence using this method. And then if if Ellington then fought that, then they would have to have a hearing before a judge, and a judge would rule if they're allowed to test the evidence or not. Now, do you think their Alfred plea would come into play with any of that? No, it shouldn't. I mean, people like to say that, like, they can't test any evidence and they can't appeal because it's part of the language of their uh, their Alfred plea. That's part of the language of every single guilt, guilty plea ever. It always says in there that you know you're 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 waiving your right to any further appeals by accepting this plea. But there are federal laws in place and so many cases state laws that always allow you to to bring in new and compelling evidence and when there's new science to do new scientific testing to try to prove your actual innocence. So there's nothing stop there's nothing stopping them from doing this any more than someone who was just convicted of a crime or someone you know, you know through a trial or someone who just pled guilty. In any of those cases, if there's new evidence and there's new methodology, they can always do more testing. Casey says, I've never heard you mention the biological fathers of Chris and Stevie. Why? They've just never, I mean, I've, I've talked about them during season five, I believe, but they were never really suspects of if memory serves, they don't, neither of them lived in town. They were, you know, they weren't, they weren't like, didn't like, not like just in town, but they lived far away. Um, Steve branch senior and, um, oh, wow. I can't remember Chris Byers real dad's name. I want it. Murray is sticking in my mind as the last name, but in any case, uh, they, my understanding is that they both lived in other areas. They were, they, no one had any reason to believe they were in the area, but to be honest with you, right, you know, right off the top of my head, I don't remember. I I do recall looking into them and researching them in years past, but I don't. Uh, I I honestly, right now, don't remember much about them. There was nothing significant enough in my investigation of them to warrant dragging them into this, so to speak. Andrea says, "Did Jim have any thoughts on Terry Hobbs' song lyrics?" Terry Hobbs song lyrics. So, uh, for those of you that don't know, Terry Hobbs does have a YouTube channel, and he makes music and and uh, usually any. Po- I don't know if they're still up or not, but he posts himself singing, you know, playing songs and singing music. You have to just go watch them. No, I don't think Jim has ever looked into any of that stuff. I think that it's pretty clear. I, I couldn't give you a, an analysis of what any of it means, other than my opinion is that Terry seems to enjoy poking the tiger. I'll say, meaning he'll 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 do little things to try to get a rise out of people, subtle things. So if you just watch the videos, you'll 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 see some of what I'm talking about. But both through his lyrics and the things that he sets around him, and you know the the backgrounds of that he puts in his videos and things like that, it's 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 all interesting. But it's 
I don't think it's any indication of guilt or innocence. It's just to me, but it, to me, it's an indication that that he enjoys stirring things up. I didn't know about any of this, so I'm definitely going to go find this. Oh God, yeah, look, you check out his YouTube page. Kate says, "Is there any indication of whether Michael was hit over the head with an instrument of some sort, or are the injuries consistent with a manual injury? Also, was anything found at the scene that might have been used to cause those injuries? If so, this should be a priority for DNA testing." Yeah, I mean, there's nothing specific on the scene that they could say that it came from this. It wasn't like, you know, the JonBenet Ramsey case where her skull is crushed in a shape that perfectly fits the handle of a Maglite flashlight or the end of a, a flashlight. Nothing like that. It, it it seemed to be an instrument that, you know, there there were some skull fractures on the other boys, too, that have been theorized that it you know could have been from, you know, hitting their head on ro- on rocks or things when their heads were pushed under the water. Um, but it was, you know, Michael Moore had pretty severe skull fractures on the, on the top of his head and some marks. The, you know, Dr. Shu thinks that, you know, it was, it was something, the cuts on his head weren't made from a cutting instrument. They were made by something more blunt, you know, based on what we see around the crime scene. She assumed that it was probably like a, a, a stick, maybe even one of the sticks that were used to hold the, the clothes under the ground. Uh, but it was something blunt force that hit that, you know, maybe had enough of an edge to cause a cut, but not like a, not a, like a slicing cut. But so, yeah, I mean, everything, well, yeah, what we want to test is everything, everything they have. Nico says, hey, guys, I agree that the unique way the bodies were tied indicates that a single individual was responsible. But does that rule out the possibility that someone else could have participated in the murders and that acted as a lookout while the concealment was taking place? I mean, no, it doesn't. It doesn't rule it out, but there's there's nothing to indicate that happened either. Like I've said before, everything was so consistent. It, it all looks like one person. Could there have been two? Sure. Could there have been three? Sure. Do I believe there was two or three? No. There's no in, There's no evidence to indicate that that there was. And just my own personal belief is it was just you know a personal belief. It's no uh, deep investigative thought. Is I just don't think more than one person can keep a secret like this for this long. Somebody would flip on somebody. Um, somebody would tell the you know get drunk and tell the wrong person. And and it would get out. So, yeah, is it, is it possible someone was a lookout? Yes, it's possible. Do I think that it's probable? No, probably not. Courtney says, did Bob ever get into any post-defense behavior with Jim? We did. We did when we recorded the show, and it just didn't make the final cut. We talked about the, you know, the his interaction. Well, some of them did, you know, because like the, where we saw the bit where, you know, he he, he admitted that he had hit Pam and, she was egging him on over one stupid woman, as he put it, and he hit her. And, you know, that's all post-defense. We talked about him shooting his brother-in-law. We we talked about all of that stuff. So all of that played into Jim's thoughts on keeping him in the pool of persons of interest. Paula says, what did Pam have to say about Terry Hobbs' behavior the night and days after the murders? You know, it's... It's hard to put any weight into anything. I mean, th- there's been different things. So at the, at the time, she didn't know what happened. She's she's everything is very traumatic, and and then they arrest the West Memphis Three. She's told by the police that they got the wrong the right people. So she believes them that they got the right people. So she's not looking at or thinking about that behavior. Later on, then she thinks maybe he did have something to do with it. But the problem is with her, with John Mark Byers, with just a lot of people is. The stories have changed over the years. You know, I think that Mark Byers is probably the most guilty of this, where his recollection of the night, and I don't know if he does it on purpose or if it's an accident, but his recollection of the night changes to fit whatever current theory he believes, if that makes sense. So it's like, you know, if new evidence comes up to suggest, you know, whatever happened, then he'll remember things that fit better with that happening now. And so it just makes it hard to, and same thing with Pam, you know, I, we talked about like the vegetable material in Stevie's stomach, you know, it, it was years later when that comes up, it was, yeah, you know, she had said I'd left him food out, but then it became, oh, it was green beans and it was Stevie's favorite and which may be true, but it's just so hard. You know, when things come out like that, after there's a theory on the table and then corroborating memories come out for it, doesn't mean they're false, but it's just hard to rely on them. And so, so what I'm getting at is Pam's recollection, or, or at least what she said over the years, along with her sisters and stuff, that about 
Terry's behaviors that night and around the incident and what they've seen, that's all it's shifted and changed over the years. So it's I, I just I just can't put you know, it'd be easy if you have a, a pet theory to say, oh, well, you know, she, well, for example, we saw in West of Memphis, one of the sisters said, you know, we saw Terry he was doing laundry that night in the middle of the night and he never does that. That very well may be true, but you don't you don't say anything about it back then, but then all of a sudden now you, there's evidence that maybe it had something to do with it. And now you remember that happening. It doesn't mean that you didn't just actually just remember that, but it, I just can't put any weight into it. Our last question is from Kara. Last week, Jim said that the offender would try to have the bodies discovered when he was there. Who was present during the discovery? I know one of the people was a parole officer who was obsessed with Damien Eccles, but who were the others, and did any of them have a personal relationship with one or all the victims? Oh, uh, they did. So it, it was Steve Jones who was in the woods. And there's some weirdness behind that. I mean, he was not told to go in the woods. He was out there by himself. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of weirdness there, but he was walking through the woods. He's the one that found the shoe, radioed in for the other officers and let him know he found the shoe. And then it was, uh, I believe it was Brian Ridge or Mike Allen. I can't remember which one of the two right now. My brain's kind of frying, fried at the moment that got into the water and ended up finding the, finding Michael Moore's body. And then, you know, everybody was in there at that point searching for, you know, in the area searching for the other two bodies. But it's an interesting point, but I think that there's in the next couple of weeks you're gonna you're gonna be even more interested in the concept of somebody trying to be witnessed discovering the bodies. Well, you did talk about that a little bit with Jim. Did we talk I said I don't remember I record I've recorded so many interviews in the last two weeks, I don't remember. Did we talk about it in this episode? Yeah, you did talk about it with Jim where he talked about David Jacoby and Terry Hobbs looking, and Terry Hobbs wanted David Jacoby to follow him. And he wouldn't, and he thought it was weird that he was like acting afraid to go over there. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. And so you're going to hear David Jacoby tell that whole story here, and over throughout the next two weeks when you hear his his full interview, there's a lot of information that David has that I think a lot of people have never heard before. You know, because the problem is David has consented to a few interviews, but they're always, you know, you record a two hour interview with him, and then you get five minutes of it on you know both our show and when he was on West of Memphis. So um, I'm really looking forward to you all being able to hear directly from him in a full, long-form, uncut context over the next two weeks. And part one of that is going to air in two days, so make sure you check out episode 41 on Sunday. And uh, thanks, Mike and Zach, for calling in. You guys, make sure you stay safe. You at home, make sure that you are staying safe. Hopefully, things are going to start to get back to normal before too long. But until then, we're going to continue to put out content. And we're going to continue to keep working on this case and keep working towards a final resolution to that. So thank you, guys, and we'll talk to you next week. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. A big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. 
You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fan page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. I lost video. Sorry. I lost. I, I lost video I was... about five minutes ago. Hey, hey guess hey, what? So happened? did I. <laughs> My card filled what? up, dude. I, I haven't been deleting the videos off the off the card, and it filled up. It's full. Yep. Hey, so... guess what? Mine did too. <laughs> <laughs> you oh. dumbasses have not. You dumbasses have not deleted your cards every time. Uh, right. I deleted it like the first two times, and I haven't deleted it since. Awesome. So, hey, video people, now you get to see <laughs> just me. Is that, how, can we just say for a second how I admitted it and Zach didn't? <laughs> <laughs> he was going to let me figure it out. Like, I don't know what happened. Uh, oh. I mean, I, I was going to say something when we were done. I just wasn't going to say it now. <laughs> Who's is the tea? Oh, that's for me, thanks. And the fish fingers. Me, please. Over here, you two. <laughs> Dobby's restaurants have great deals on lots of tasty products. That's it. Mind your backs, please. <laughs> Making them feel even greater. Left a bit careful of that. So kids' meals feel larger than dining tables. Set it down gently, gently. Whoa! Find great value every day in store, like kids eat free. After all, spring's a big deal at Dobby's Garden Centres. Anything else? Have you got a bigger fork?